0: Mary Poppins practically perfect in every Maybe way. Be the miners,
1: sure, I mean, they're like three years old. Miners, not minus. you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. <laughs> I don't, don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's
2: a fairy that falls down dead. We're women who aren't afraid to fight, to stand up for our dignity.
1: Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact. There
3: are no colored bathrooms in this building. Simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. There's one thing the history of evolution has taught us. It's that life will not be contained. Life finds a way.
1: Words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic.
4: Daylight
3: come, Stack
0: banana till the morning come. Hello and welcome to Bite the Pen, I'm Jen, and as always sitting next to me is the spooky Miss Charlotte. Hi Charlotte. Hi spooky Jen. Oh my god. Uh, it's Halloween. Yay. Oh my god. <laughs> um, and we have two awesome people here with us today, a uh, screenwriter, producer, teacher, and lecturer Terry Borst. Hi Terry. Hey. And Claudia Rubin, producer and director of Santa Fe's Garson Studios. Woo!
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Always. Anytime. And you are our first guests. So yes. We do whatever you want. We, get,
1: we set the standard for yeah, our, our, yeah. all the other the forthcoming shows. So, <laughs>
3: we're going to try to set a high bar. That's what we're going to do. Yeah.
0: So Terry and Claudio are going to be talking about their new film. And we're also going to be discussing one of our favorite Halloween films, Beetlejuice. So I can I can start off by saying... Your
2: movie is Two Way, mm-hmm. Terry Borst, the writer. Are you also like producer or are you just... A-
3: we, we are co-executive producers on uh, Two Way. So we've uh, joined up for this project. Hopefully we'll be uh, setting up additional future feature film projects here in New Mexico. We Thank will you. be,
1: not hopefully. We will. We will be. Yeah, yeah. We are. <laughs>
3: We're in our fundraising stage as well. And for listeners of the... Podcasts our film has in the indiegogo running right now, which is one of our revenue streams because we're one hundred percent independently financing this film in New Mexico. New Mexicans frequently are waiting for magical Hollywood money to kind of rain down <laughs> upon them uh, which uh, doesn't it doesn't really work that way um, so uh we'll <laughs> We'll point you to our Indiegogo, but to fill listeners in a little bit about uh, Two-Way, and we're thrilled to death to talk about it. It's a road trip movie, and uh, it's a little bit in the vein of uh, Richard Linklater's Before Sunrise Trilogy, the film Blue Valentine, going back a number of years, Paris, Texas, really about matters of the human heart. And with our film, it's the story of a married couple. They're middle-aged, they are leaving Los Angeles, which has been their home for a job relocation in southern New Mexico and on the way uh, chance encounter really upends everything they thought they knew about their marriage and each of their individual lives. So that's uh, two-way in a nutshell. That's
0: awesome. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> <laughs> so what percentage
2: would you say happens on the road?
3: Boy, essentially all of it. I really? mean it's really a yeah. true road trip movie. And, uh, you know, so although I don't think it has much in common with films like Tulane Blacktop, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're heading out on Interstate 40, which in essence is the old Route 66. So it's that kind of classic American feel. And Mm -hmm. aside from my own personal knowledge, knowing that road so well, driving between Los Angeles and New Mexico, I'm really interested in those spaces in our lives where we're in the midst of relocating, we're moving to a different place, and the things that we sort of take for granted and ignore and we think they don't count, but just literally, you know, the motels that you stop in on the way, the gas stations, the rest stops, any place you pull off the road, frontage roads. I, I you know, it's Americana and I love it all. And uh, that was part of the uh, inspiration for this film.
0: Well,
2: since since you're talking about it, can I ask a little bit more about then, like the concept of this? the story, and where it was birthed, and how long you've been working on the story? That, you know yes. Yeah. You know, like I was like, well, because I'm just curious as to where it came from. But if you don't want to, like, share that from part. of your own so... experience. No, you
3: know? absolutely, because I know that, you know, the, the drive between Los Angeles and New Mexico is so well, and I, I thought that would be a fun venue. There is a central device that uh, I won't discuss here at the moment that makes it a little bit unique as well in terms of just the process of a road trip. But, you know, the other part of it was really thinking about those of us who've reached middle age. We start thinking about some of the bigger issues in life as well, literally about things like marriage and fidelity and mortality and all these grand things. But there are things that are incredibly important in our lives. So, you know, I think that was kind of constantly in the back of my mind while I was uh, writing this. And I also wrote it really specifically to be shot in New Mexico and shot on a l- low budget. So those were very specific goals for the film. Thank
0: you for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah. Even the producers. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, just because,
1: I mean, talking about writing scripts, often scripts are written that don't, they're that not realistic in terms of the budget. That is being applied to them and or they try and pack too much into a budget and you know having a solid story that works you know you don't need a lot of money you know having a screenwriter that thinks about the budget and thinks about locations and thinks about you know if these characters go here it'll be cheaper to shoot you know you're still getting you know great story great characters but it's cheaper to like shoot outside of a gas station instead of inside a gas station Mm -hmm. You know, if you're inside the gas station, you, hang out, you know, what are we doing about all the products that are in there? Do you have to cover them? Do you have to hide them? Do you need a whole set dressing team to come in and remove them and then put in other things that are cleared to be in the movie? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when Terry has a scene outside of the gas station, I'm happy because I, <laughs> and, you know, the art department can be a little smaller. It's a little less complicated. It's written strategically and with a lot of thought, which is, you know, a professional screenwriter. And that's, that's, that's a big deal.
0: For sure. yeah. <laughs> I was,
2: yeah, I was going to say, it helps that you've already had all this experience. You're not just a writer, you know, you've had all this experience,
1: and so you can think about those things when you're writing it, obviously. Right. But. And you can still have fun, action, you know, high-energy scenes, you know, that don't need all those other elements involved, and that can be done for less. So I read the script and I fell in love with the script. Nice. You know. So, I mean, we're two years into this, and so, I mean, you have to fall in love with the script and the project to – to put the time into it, you know, because we're spending a lot of time and now we're also spending money. And, you know, so I fell in love with the script and then, you know, went from there and then said, OK, I'll, I'll jump on this and go for it. Yeah.
2: So was there something about this, that the story that pulled you into or were you thinking yeah. from like a producer?
1: Well, no, I, I think for me to, to start, it has to be the story, nice. at least, you know, in this situation where there's no money and there's no it's like we're rebuilding from scratch. So I need to read the story and fall in love with it. Um, what did what
0: was it that made you? Wrong? I think
1: just the, the honesty of the mm-hmm. characters and their relationships and what they explore about their relationship and their marriage. You know, and then we can't give away too many secrets know, about it, right, but right. you know, <laughs> they, they they confront certain issues that force them to come to terms with themselves and each other and their marriage. And it's like, okay, you know, what are we doing here? We've done this for nineteen years. Are we going to do this another nineteen years? I mean, where where are we at in this relationship? and i think just the honesty of all that i felt this is a valuable film that's worth it to be up on the screen and for people to go watch it and i feel like people will take something away from it maybe they'll go watch it a second time but i think it feeds people and at
3: least gets them to think
1: you know and and so then it's a valuable endeavor you know it's at least for for my time that's all i could say i
3: think i mean the amazing thing is the complexity of uh, romantic relationships and life relationship, kind of sad acquaintances, more than acquaintances, friends of mine uh, who are married 39 years, they just decided to divorce. Um, and it's not the first time that I know people that have been married 20 plus, 30 plus, even 40 wow. plus years. Wow. And they decide we're gonna go our separate ways at this point. Wow. And so, uh, you know, the, this question of of maintaining a relationship, you know, Woody Allen famously um, said in uh, Annie Hall that uh, relationships either have to continually move forward like a shark, yeah, or they die. And it's really, really true. And and it it's an ongoing deep part of everybody's lives and nobody ever solves easy answers so even when you see somebody who's been together 20 years or 30 years and you just go oh yeah they'll be there f- together forever right. that actually <laughs> not yeah. necessarily not necessarily yeah. yeah um
1: yeah i mean relationships are there's a fluidity and i think because culturally i guess there's you know, in the past you would just stick it out until the grave right. yeah
2: you know? uh, especially if and
1: religion wasn't involved. Sure. Was <laughs> involved, right yeah and today there's more fluidity to, to that which you know i think it's healthy it's you know it's helpful and, and if a relationship has run its course that's you know maybe it is time after 39 years to you know to say okay we, it's been great but you know <laughs> there's other chapters in our lives that we have to do separately and and you know and if it's in a mature done in a mature responsible
3: way then why not but from the, the outside side, what's interesting is is you're always still wondering why now, after 39, 39 years, oh, after sure. 45 years, after 25 years? Yeah. Why this this moment? And, yeah. I, you know, I mean, that's what we look for in drama is some suggestions of answers for the stuff that honestly we don't ever really know because unless it's our lives, that's always uh, the other part of, you know, everybody that we don't know there. What is the stuff that's happening to them? So.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think also I just want to finish the thought from before. It's also, I mean, we don't have those... The same pressures, at least in North America. I think uh, other parts of the world it's different, yeah. um, but I think it's also maybe it's too easy to get out of relationships sometimes <laughs> oh, today.
4: So mm-hmm. I think people are like,
1: yeah, okay, I'm done. I'm, like this, it's more transactional, or it's more like, okay, I, I didn't they get... give it a chance, right? And sometimes you start. really do have to put some energy into it, and you do, and then you discover something together, like, oh wow, we hit this hard point, and. You work through it together, you build more respect for your partner, you build more love, more compassion. So, you know, this there's always two sides. That's yeah. great. Yeah. That's
0: great. Wow. <laughs> I can't, I can't, wait. I can't I know. wait to see the movie. <laughs> and so tell me again, what where do you donate to it?
3: Ah, uh, great question. So um, for starters, you can find us uh, on social media. We're at... Two-Way the Movie with a, the digit two, so Two-Way the Movie all together. We're, we have our website, 2 movie.com again with a digit two, so 2 movie.com If you go to either 2 movie.com or if you go to our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Two-Way the Movie, we will direct you all the time to our Indiegogo, <laughs> which has its own URL, but which is long enough that it frankly probably oh. is easier to land On the website first or on the Facebook page first. And then there'll be a post there that says, click on this. And what's really exciting about our Indiegogo is we have a lot of uh, unique perks attached to uh, contribution levels. Everything from a romantic weekend in Santa Fe to being on set and having a a visit. One thing uh, we haven't mentioned, and I will right now, is we have Bailey Chase attached as our lead actor. He was one of the stars of Longmire and, and... so is an extremely known quantity um, here in new Mexico and and a great guy. and, Wonderful actor and we're really excited to have him. So, uh, you know get that perk to be on set hang out with Bailey So one of the other perks there is to be a background extra for a day um, So we have lots of fun things that yeah. people should check out yeah. and yeah. they need to hurry because the clock is ticking on the Indiegogo But you know come come join us be part of the two-way team. That's our pitch
2: And w- would you mind mentioning Diana Taylor? as
0: your
3: director? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. We Diana. have a
0: certain love for Diana.
3: Oh okay. great. Great. <laughs> Diana is a fighter time Emmy Award winning cinematographer and of course has been a director as well. We're really excited to have her directing and being uh, the, the person who will create incredible imagery to uh, be able to support the story and bring it to the next level as well. Yeah. yeah. And
0: I, I just would like to say you know one of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast is representation. So for you guys to have a female director, thank you.
3: That's oh yeah. Awesome. It, was, it was an easy decision. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very easy decision. She knocked it
1: out of the park I and mean, like, oh, had several candidates and she's well, like
3: and I think what also what that will of course lead to and both of us want as much diversity as possible behind the camera and in front of the camera as well. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. But with Diana as director, even in terms of hiring decisions, there's no question that we'll have greater diversity in terms of the entirety of our crew. We're also excited with the cast that uh, we uh, be able to qualify for the Screen Actors Guild's Indie Diversity Initiative because so much of the cast will be female or and or non-white, and we're excited about that. Yeah. So, so um, cool. you know. they raise the bar,
1: so you can have a higher
3: budget, and oh
1: um, it cool. helps you to produce you know lower lower budget film. We also have to give a plug to Charlotte, because if you Indeed. go to our websites, then... Oh, oh <laughs> Which Charlotte? Which Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> to, who produced and directed and edited all our videos and promo videos, oh, so yeah. shout, out, shout out to Charlotte. She's <laughs> great. You're <Yeah>.
0: good. <laughs> Anytime, anytime. So, Terry, tell us about yeah. yourself. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So I'm a, I'm a screenwriter and a producer, additionally, and what brought me out here to Santa Fe from uh, Los Angeles. Most of my career was spent in Los Angeles as a working screenwriter, as a member of the Writers Guild of America. But uh, Santa Fe University of Art and Design invited me to come out uh, and uh, teach uh, in the film department back at the beginning of this decade. And so that uh, brought me out here and, and, you know, I fell in love with New Mexico. Being here, sadly, Santa Fe University uh, closed up a while ago and now I am a visiting professor in Florida. I and mean, so I get to commute back and forth weekly between New Mexico and Florida, which is a little crazy. But uh, we keep that going at the same time as uh, I'm busy producing two-way.
0: We're very glad you you do make that trip.
3: <laughs> we want you to stay in New Mexico. But... We're trying. <laughs> I know. What about my you? My turn. uh
1: Oh, mysterious Claudia. Mysterious Claudia. jeez. So I'm from Italy originally. I was born in Italy, born in Milan, and bounced around. I'm going to accelerate the whole <laughs> timeline. <laughs> bounced weird. around the world a little bit. Yeah, I never, never thought I'd get into film. It wasn't part of my. I didn't grow up with a video camera running around chasing everybody in the house and <laughs> filming, you know, home home videos and stuff you know, I have an English law degree uh, from from London. I worked in commodities trading in Switzerland. So I had a totally different background. I mean, art was always part of my life, but I, I went into a different direction in my early years, uh, early work years, and then got into film out here in New Mexico in 2001 and um, still here. So I guess still here in New Mexico and still here in film. And it was interesting just finding my way, you know, the uh, I started off in features, working on feature films. And uh, first movie ever was actually here at Garson Studios, a film nice. with Kelly Waymire and Jeff Fahey called Maniacs. Yeah, and it, it, it's been an interesting journey just because I had to find my place in the film world. You know, I didn't, like I said, I didn't grow up thinking about film. And then I got into it and I was like, hey, I yeah, started in features. I went to commercials. I worked in television, uh, launched and ran a film festival. Nice. And I was like, so what's my expression here? I'm trying to find my my voice in this whole world and uh so i guess i'm producing i guess that's my (laughs) that's my voice (laughs) and uh and being you know and bringing you know the business side from commodities trading and my law degree so all those things i guess in some ways uh, i was preparing myself for a career in as a producer and, and producing and I didn't know that, um, but I was some, somehow subconsciously guiding myself. And totally. I remember at a friend in London, my undergrad my, my undergrad degree was in political science and history from McGill, in Montreal. And I was in London one day, and I walking across this road, and I walked by this guy, and I'm like, "I know you," and he's like, "I know you," and he's was like, <laughs> "He's a guy I went to school with in Montreal," and he went he went to Cambridge and did studied law at Cambridge, and I was at King's College and. So we both followed, you know, when McGill go to to go to the UK, get a law degree, and then he became a producer, oh my gosh. Oh my <laughs> and then <laughs> I became a producer. That's so I was like that's a pattern. That's a pattern. <laughs> we shouldn't announce that. The time. Like, By the
2: way, you guys, we will be producers.
1: So, but you seem a- very
0: happy with it.
1: It's good. It's getting better. You know, I like playing with the financing and the being kind of in the creative control leadership. And I still consider myself, you know, like kind of a baby producer. But to be in a position of responsibility where you're kind of in the lead producing role, it does make sense that it takes a long time, that you have to go through a lot of experiences and work on a lot of shows and all kinds of different situations. And it's 2 a.m. and you don't have the location to shoot, you know, in a day, and you go back out and you're scouting at 2 a.m. to find a location to make the shoot work, I think you have to kind of, you know, put in your, your time, like every like every career, you know, and, um, you know, people say, yeah, I'm a producer, you know, like, okay, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's like writing screenplays, you know, like, you know, I've, I've done that where I've written a screenplay, and I'm a screenwriter, yeah, I run one screenplay. I'm a screenwriter. You know? yeah. It doesn't work that way. You really have to spend time and with any with any trade, with any um, you know career and develop it and, and learn all the intricacies and all the permutations and and so especially you know in producing executive producing, it takes time to to finally get there and go, okay, now this makes sense.
2: But and then you know I, I always appreciate this idea that the independent circuit seems very different. Uh, I mean I don't know because I've never worked in like Hollywood before but
4: you're yeah, working in an time. independent <laughs>
2: theater. <laughs> I am mean, just working with the independent theater versus, you know, what what I hear from Regal. I will like, well that's an entirely different beast. Like we're telling different stories and I think that's where passion can differentiate how you work in your roles. So even if you don't feel like a producer, I feel like you're doing amazing work with where you are and who you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't know if that's true. Is that true, Terry? Yeah, <laughs> I,
3: I mean, it, certainly the the path of, of independent film versus um, uh, films that are coming out of studios there, the budgets are so radically different. And, of course. What you can possibly do with story is, is so very different as well so yeah they have completely different fields the, the rules are different if there are any rules um, uh, they are different worlds and i think uh, again for new mexicans uh sometimes new mexicans who are in the film industry in various ways are imagining hollywood will suddenly march into new mexico and just set up shop and and be there and for uh, New Mexicans to be building up an above-the-line filmic infrastructure, it's to make more of these small, independent films work, which is why we hope people will visit twowaythemovie.com yes. and support us, that we really uh, need that to uh, be able to uh, realize this and make it happen. We are going to be employing uh, local cast, local crew, local vendors, and because of the fact that both Claudio and I uh, were teaching at Santa Fe University, we're very committed to educational opportunities and internships for Current students, for recent alums, because we're going to be shooting in Las Cruces. I think we'll be working most specifically with New Mexico State University and with Dona Ana Community College um, to bring in their students from not only film, but business students, culinary arts students, mm. um, students from other disciplines as well. So we're very much committed to involving the community as a whole, again, New Mexico as a whole. We want to keep growing the infrastructure entirely, and, and part of that is giving more opportunity and experience to recent graduates there and current students as well.
0: That's great. That's another thing we talk about a lot is, you know, trying to, trying to build Santa Fe and I think that that's great, that that's a Yeah, I mean, the, the
1: closing of the university is a big deal. And I produce commercials, you know, production-managed commercials, you know, to come in from L.A. and New York. And I would bring in, you know, a lot of the young kids on to, as P.A.s and create opportunities for some of them to be on professional shoots. So not having them around anymore as a resource, <laughs> it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. You know? and the, the community, the film community, took a hit with uh, the closing of this university. Yeah. And, yeah, and not only the film community, but the at community. least in term the community in general for sure. But yes, you know, we're talking film. You yeah. know, the ability to to have new kids and get them involved and yeah, yeah. doesn't mean we
2: stop trying and use the students that are here and support the universities that are here. And yeah.
3: yeah, and I, I I think New Mexico needs to to think about the entirety of the state and and so what will benefit one portion of the state in the long run has impact throughout. All of the state, and so every time we're working with students, whether they're from Southern New Mexico, whether they're from Albuquerque, whether they're from Santa Fe, whether they're from Taos, this is a plus in the long run. We're hopeful that uh, everything we're doing will have impacts across the state. It is actually an important thing of of how production cycles within regions and locations will change, and there will be ebbs and flows to that. And currently, we're in you know, a solid time here in New Mexico, but things can change very quickly, and again, that's one of the reasons it's important to, I think, build more of a homegrown kind of base mm. here with more above-the-line talent, and and make our films that are our films, and yeah. tell stories that nobody else is telling.
2: That's awesome. Everything local across the board, not just the <laughs> arts, everything. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs>
3: We want to remind everybody to visit twowaythemovie.com. That's with the number two, twowaythemovie.com. You can visit us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Two Waythemovie, again with the number two. If you visit either our social media or our website, you will get a pointer instantly to our Indiegogo. We encourage you to visit the Indiegogo. There's tons of fun perks, and all contributions are valued. They're incredibly important to us. It's one of the key revenue streams that we have for Two Way. So go visit our Indiegogo.
0: Bite the Pen will definitely be donating. So I hope all of our listeners do as well. Yeah. If we do, you have to. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not going Oh, sorry. <laughs> swing
4: feet. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move right into Beetlejuice. Every time I say Beetlejuice, I need you to say it twice more. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Thank you. Well, we're pretty sure most people have seen it, but we're going to give you some basic information anyway. Beetlejuice, the spirits of a deceased couple, not diseased, (laughs) um, are harassed by an unbearable family that has moved into their home and hire a malicious spirit to drive them out. Uh, Story and screenplay were by Michael McDowell, who I found out actually did the thinner screenplay of the Stephen King uh, movie book, and he did the Nightmare Before Christmas adaptation with Tim Burton, and he also did Tales from the Crypt, which apparently is a recurring theme in this movie, and the other writer and story-developed person was Larry Wilson from Tales from the Crypt. Mm Mm-hmm. And you said a lot of the
2: cast members were
0: in. Well, Tales yeah, from the Crypt, yeah, right?
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, See, I I've never seen *Tales from the Crypt*. Oh, it's so good. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know it. No, I'll see how no. funny.
4: Like, oh my
3: gosh! I <laughs> do very well because yeah. that was, uh, you know, that was when I was starting out my career. So all this oh. uh, when Beetlejuice screened, and that that time period in that era, um, there was a lot of horror being done. *Tales from the Crypt* and earlier, and Michael McDowell came out of. Tales from the Dark Side, which was a super low-budget TV series, and with my colleagues, uh, you know, I knew several people there that were doing Tales from the Dark Side and were within this world. So, uh, yeah, it was a big thing that was happening right at the end of the '80s and right at the beginning of the '90s, and in Hollywood,
0: that was awesome. And they're talking about doing it again, just calling it Beetlejuice
3: Two. Is the current? Oh, uh, that yeah, yeah, is
0: that,
3: yeah. That, that,
1: that was. It's, well, it, it's come to life and died several times. Right? Yes.
2: I yes. we reading about yes. that.
3: Yeah, but it's listed right now on uh, Tim Burton's IMDb. Um, really? And uh, Winona, Winona Ryder um, oh. was talking about it just a few months ago. Oh, cool. um, you know, whether or not it will see the light of day, yes. that's another story. Yes.
2: Interesting, meaning they would use the same characters? Well,
3: that's an interesting question, right? I mean, that's what they're talking about? Does that make s- I don't know if that makes sense with everybody 30 years older. You know reboots. Um, they're doing
0: them all the time. <laughs> but if they, what's our rule, right? If they do a reboot, it needs to have a new element to it. Yeah,
3: and I think, so Beetlejuice 2, at least what they're saying is it'd be a sequel um, right, as right. opposed to a reboot. Exactly. A reboot's a whole other question.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah, I,
2: f- yeah, I feel like you can't. I mean, you can obviously they do it. They have, <laughs> but I feel like it's so like such a classic then. There there's yeah. no
1: ground that's not sacred. No, right. that's you're for right. sure. <laughs> yeah, if they can make money, they will turn it around and find a way to yeah. turn right. it around. That's mm-hmm. right.
0: Keep that in mind. And um, the film, of course, is directed by Tim Burton. Gina Davis is in it. She was the first to sign on to Beetlejuice. I guess she was the only actor who they asked and was immediately like, "Yes, I'm in." Yeah. All the others he had to sort of convince. Alec Baldwin, who doesn't look like Alec Baldwin, in it. 30
1: years ago. Didn't <laughs> you know, right. even yeah.
0: uh, me reminded, I'm like, oh yeah, that's Alec Baldwin. Yeah. <laughs> he's Adam, um, and he did Tales from the Crypt as well. Uh, Catherine O'Hara as Delia, love Catherine O'Hara. She also did Tales from the Crypt. Winona Ryder, Tales from the Crypt. Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice, but spelled differently, which we'll talk about. And Jeffrey Jones as Charles, who has been around forever and also did Tales from the Crypt. And Glenn Shaddix is Otho, who I didn't I don't I didn't recognize him and I didn't know him, but his filmography is impressive. I mean he has been in so many things. I've never seen such a long like filmography.
3: And sadly he passed away a few years ago. Did he so saw that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was wondering why I hadn't seen him in a while and mm-hmm. that's why. Yeah.
0: And he was so young. He's like fifty six or something.
3: Yeah, right? yeah. Wow, mm-hmm. so young. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for that depressing note. Oh, uh-huh. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Halloween. We are, you know, we're nearly at the Day of the Dead. So yeah, that's true. we could right think right about in. those who passed on as that's well.
1: True, yeah. Well, Day of the Dead next week in Mexico, I think. Yes. Yeah. So somebody I was working with yesterday was heading to Mexico for that whole yeah. <laughs> nice. celebration. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, produced by Michael Bender, who I do not know. And of course, written by Michael McDowell. Um, One of the, the two things that we checked first, before we get into more of the meat, in our last episode we talked about the venom problem, which is, do you want to describe the venom problem? Um. Uh, I okay. The only
2: thing I did was contribute to the name of it because oh she's the one that. Well, get, I told oh, you to
0: stop telling but, people that. Because hey, it was you. You're the one that I No, you were the one that told me about. Oh really, I don't remember. You that. say that every time. Okay. I just maybe I just don't remember it. That's maybe right, we think
1: <laughs> I don't know what the venom problem is. So yeah. So,
0: we're,
2: uh, we were watching. I live Menno. under a rock. No, no, no. Meaning we, we, made we haven't. This up. Yeah, yeah, it's totally our our okay. thing because we just started noticing it, but. Part of something we were watching in, in Venom, the movie, uh, okay. Marvel movie, is everything was casted great. Everybody did such a great job. We actually were very surprised
0: at how good the film turned out. I, I mean we were we I were, loved it yeah. and I did not expect to. Yeah. It's a Marvel film and you know, I don't know. They can all you know, <laughs> you, know <laughs> you're and,
1: and, yeah, you know. They're following Scorsese and and they're all yes. like, you know, this isn't really entertainment. <laughs> I mean, this isn't really yeah. cinema, it is entertainment.
2: Right, but, exactly, yeah. exactly. I'm not sure who brought it up first, but we were like noticing the entire cast was white. We just, we happened to notice those things, except for the villain. And he, he was so well casted and he did a great job, but that's all we
0: could think about throughout the movie. It was like, oh, he's the only minority. The only minority in your film is the bad guy. Yeah. That's not a great message. And it's something that we've been seeing in other films as well. Right. Um, as we move along. So for this film, we, we wanted to see if it passed. Didn't have the venom problem, and it didn't, which is great. Yay, woo! And you'll talk more. Do you want to talk more about the original? So yeah, so
2: I started looking at Michael's first script, the original Beetlejuice story idea. Oh, you were able to get the script. I I found it online. Oh wow! (laughs) I don't know if I wasn't supposed to. Oh my god, it's there. It's there. (laughs) Yeah, it's there. Long (laughs) forgotten. You're (laughs) the only visitor in the last 30 years. (laughs) And it, yeah, it definitely felt less like a family film, maybe more horror esque. Have you? Yeah. Do you know what the original story was? Or? It's, well, it's much
1: darker.
3: Yeah, and th- I mean th- that's because of the, the world that he was working in in uh, Tales from the Dark Side, and and uh, you know that was his genre. So uh, it's logical that you know where he started from was in a darker place, and Tim Burton came in and and said we can make this a little bit more fun, and you know it's sort of the nature of. Tim Burton projects in the end. Tim Burton is not interested in hardcore horror. That's not right. what he does. He has that, <laughs> yeah, childlike absolutely, absolutely, and so I, you know, I think that's what uh, attracted him to it. But you've read the script, so you can yeah. talk way more about
2: it. Yeah, well, because I was, I was kind of just interested where the story came from. I thought it was a very interesting story, and I'm always attracted to like the family. Um, whenever there's a family involved and the dynamics of family and I thought like in its basic form it's basically two families trying to learn to live together and it's the daughter that brings that together so like oh that's a beautiful story <laughs> um, and that's still part of the original for sure but um, originally the idea of Beetlejuice was supposed to be not only more involved in the film but more scary sinister they described him as Rat Packer so laid back like, club singer kind of guy, smooth, smooth talker. Well, they, they were
1: thinking about Sammy Davis Jr. exactly as one of the as the original Beetlejuice, which would have been really. I was actually I was watching some old Sammy Davis Jr. videos this morning on YouTube. Just hadn't watched him in forever. It, it would have been interesting with Sammy Davis Jr. It's a different movie. Agreed. It's a different movie. Yeah, a different yeah.
2: movie. <laughs> I actually, I was picturing that too for this original script mm-hmm. of Sammy Davis Jr. And it totally works. It really, really <laughs> works. But the problem with that then is it, it would have been a huge Venom problem. Because if the cast was as it was, mm-hmm. minus Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. And Beetlejuice was like Sammy Davis Davis Jr. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> I'm like, man, that's totally the Venom problem. Yeah. So that's just something I wanted to throw out there. But I agree. When reading it, I I totally pictured Sammy huh. Davis Jr. Yeah. Interesting. He would have done it really well. well that's my two tap cents. Tap dancing
1: nice. and singing. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just just like, like I like
2: tap so I
0: know.
4: much. I'm <laughs> <laughs> such a big fan of Sammy Davis Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that
1: totally makes sense.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the the other thing we usually try to do or at least I try to do although I think I'm getting you to do it as well is seeing if films pass the Bechdel test um, and as a reminder the Bechdel test is there's three different qualifiers um you have to have two female characters who have names and i guess it's only two rules um and those two female characters have to speak to each other and it not be about a man that's the very basics of a bechdel test um and we were both very happily surprised that uh, i don't know if i was surprised but happy that this passes i'm always well. happy when uh, yeah. movie passes that test because yeah. it's
2: it sort is of simple and it's in the background but when you when she started bringing it up for like almost all my favorite movies, I'm Sorry.
0: like, oh my gosh! <laughs> well, you were right. I mean, I think that's that's good to point out. So. I I like Allison Bechtel who created this test because her purpose in it was not to shame anybody and and not to make anybody dislike anything in particular, but just to expose the the idea that there's a lot of misrepresentation and underrepresentation. Right. So. Right. So pass both of those. Yay. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> I, I,
1: I'm, no, I'm noticing you're wearing the same shirt that Alec Baldwin like. I know. I was thinking <laughs> the same, same thing. Beetlejuice. <laughs>
0: My Beetlejuice suit was dirty. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we have a few questions, um, things that we want to talk about with you guys for Beetlejuice. So what is your relationship to Beetlejuice? And do you have any, like... Memories with associated with
1: it. Um. I have a Beetlejuice altar at home.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, awesome. I have fond memories of Beetlejuice. You know, I probably saw it. I was coming just out of high school, going into university, and I can't tell you exactly when. Yeah, so it came out in 1988. I was like, so you we know, the date came out. Yeah, yeah on May 7th, <laughs> in West Palm Beach, Florida. went <laughs> <Florida>. uh, <laughs> to our local movie theater. So I just... It has like that warm, fuzzy feeling for me. It's just like fond memory. It was a fun film. And when I watched it, you know, we'll talk about the film. But, you know, I had a lot of those same positive, you know, just it's visually engaging. It's visually entertaining. um, It's zany. And um, all those things were still there. It's still a fun film.
3: Yeah, I mean, it holds up really well, and and, uh, I still think it's one of Tim Burton's best films. And, you know, I I don't remember exactly where I saw it. It would have been in Los Angeles. You know, that built out of, uh, this was Tim Burton's second feature film. Uh, He'd done uh, uh, Pee-wee's Big Top, I think. Uh, There there were a couple different Pee-wee films, but he did the first one, you know, which did well commercially. But this, Beetlejuice is what blew him up completely and, and why he was doing Batman next. And so, uh, you know, that career arc was interesting as as somebody really just getting going in his own career, kind of watching that take off. And he was a a student at Cal Arts, which is just outside of Los Angeles, and uh, then did a great animated short, Frank and Weenie, that then launched him to Pee Wee and then, you know, launched him to Beetlejuice, which got him to Batman. The Batman movies, I had the chance to tour the sets for the the second of Tim Burton's Batman movies mm-hmm. where the penguin was oh, featured and that was astonishing. This was paramount and they mm-hmm. they had so many sound stages deployed for the film. And mm-hmm. one of the sound stages they refrigerated down to thirty five degrees because oh, they wanted to see everybody's breath. And the, the expense involved in doing can you oh, imagine God. that? Gosh. And it was so <laughs> cold being on that set. <laughs> And, and oh you know, I'm you in Los Angeles. <laughs> I don't know yeah. from like, you know, 30 <laughs> yeah. degree temperatures. This was long before I came to Santa Fe, yeah. uh, where I become intimately um, familiar with them. But <laughs> it was something, just seeing all the different bat suits. So this was a little later uh, in Tim Burton's career. One of the reasons we selected Beetlejuice is each of us, you know, feel it's a good film. And, and I think felt that it would hold up well. And so it was sort of interesting seeing it 30 years after we had, seen it before yeah. and it does hold up well yeah. um it's it it's got a nice timeless feature and that's not actually easy to achieve yeah
1: it's, no that's the fact that it's you know it has this fantastic quality that's kind of outside of time um <laughs> you know, this is a totally tangential comment but i've been watching uh Jane the Virgin and i love that show and the yeah. fact that they have the telenovela quality has Allows you to do a lot of things that you couldn't normally do in a television show. So I think even here with so the same thing, with Beetlejuice, it has this timeless, out of normal time, fantastic quality, which allows him a lot of breathing room, and gives a lot of creativity and makes it still fresh today. I was actually impressed how it's still kind of I was still laughing. Yeah. It still mm-hmm. felt fresh, and I'm like, gee, what films am I watching today that are as visually engaging? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's everything. You could say maybe there's too much up on the screen, and there's too many different types of styles and yeah. but still it's eye-popping and and it's it's not rehashed you know they, they thought about it and they created their own special unique world that's that's still nice to see
0: it's very creative too
2: which i think is appreciated oh yeah, yeah. and you were even saying like that claymation mm-hmm. rather than cgi because that's what yeah. we're used to or at least our generation is super used to it now yeah. but just to see when the art pieces come to life that's very tim Burton-y, but we also appreciate that it's claymation like yeah. actually surreal, yeah. Very textured.
3: no that's the 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 practicals that are there i mean it's just so old school i mean the the miniatures i mean that was oh, the yeah. the height of just the creation of miniatures mm-hmm. and i i knew people that were creating miniatures for various projects at the time and that craft has almost disappeared Could honestly well, if you look at um,
1: like blade runner all of that was the craft of these, these uh-huh. men and women. I mean there was no CGI. It was all created by these, you know, special effects teams. And yeah. there was a time where now it's all computer generated. And it doesn't feel like the fact that you made the comment about the texture of the claymation, mm-hmm. it's it has a different feel on screen. And yeah. um and it's kind of a feel that I miss. I mean it has it gives it a texture Absolutely. and a tact you know, it's more tactile and yeah. The digital image doesn't have that, and it doesn't. And I think you lose something there. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's a. I mean, it, it, with all the technical advancement of of CGI, I mean, honestly, you know, still when I'm watching things, I'm I'm distanced out, you know, always because I'm recognizing that's all digital. And, you know, there, w- there was something to that. Just to, Again, you're right, just the texture and the feel. Mm-hmm. And it actually, uh, I feel, actually immerses you more in the experience. And maybe it's interesting because we consume so much of our media now on laptop screens and phones. And, and maybe it makes less difference there. But, you know, on the big screen it, um, there, if you have the luxury of experiencing that, it was, it was fun to kind of go back. And I'd, I'm, I'm looking at those miniatures going,
1: man. Well, it feels like I was, another character I mean, yeah. it's not you know it embodies has form it's it's just yeah. flat. Yeah. it's yeah. not flat it's not flat yeah. and that, that you know this is a three-dimensional it's you know it's a visual medium it's, yeah. so
2: i i wasn't i wasn't really introduced to tim burton until later <laughs> our, our family I didn't like watch Dario. a lot of movies <laughs> <laughs> early on in high school, for sure, but I think it took a while. You guys just watch Star
0: Trek all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: my earliest memories, of course, are all always the playthings, the like the music themes, um, Harry Belafonte uh, uh, yeah. songs throughout the film. Mm-hmm. That's something the that always sale. stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the very musicality, and of course, claymation, the setting. Even though I didn't understand the story, it felt fun yeah. and. Quirky,
4: mm-hmm.
2: um, and of course Beetlejuice as a trickster character. Um, whenever there's a trickster involved, I am like on it. I just True. that is my favorite archetype, and I think Beetlejuice is one of like the. You're most gonna iconic. write a book about it, right? Yeah, a book. We do want to do a podcast on it, though. No, you you should. A book, <laughs> <laughs> book later. Um, so I think that was yeah the most memorable was the trickster and nice. oh, that that very Tim Burton-y quirk of a film. Yeah, was my early memory of that.
0: Nice. I think one of the things they appreciate about it is that it can be a family film, but it can also really have some dark elements to it that are digestible. Um, one of the things we noticed when we were, or you, but we. <laughs> Only on uh, this round of watching it, though. Yeah, it took me a while to notice this. Sorry. There was quite a few references to suicide in one form or another, and some were sort of like, ugh, maybe not the best way to talk about suicide, and some were kind of like, oh, this is pretty realistic and to straddle that line I think especially in such a like zany film um, is pretty impressive and I think it's it's important that these themes are talked about in family films and I just think it's so well done plus I can get my goth on
2: <laughs> <laughs> <which I like. laughs> yeah because originally funnily enough originally there was two two characters for um, well, two daughters and Lydia was the older daughter who was the very goth Right. and she was very much Manhattan like she didn't want to be uh, transported to Connecticut where they ended up and mm-hmm. you know she was fighting her parents the whole time and then Claire is nine years old and she was she was the very she looked like she was from Soho and very like you know appeasing and trying to calm down the family she was the peacemaker mm-hmm. but she was also the one that connected the two families together once barbara and adam accepted that you know they had to live in the house together mm-hmm. so she was she was the element that kept them together but i thought it worked really well once they combined it
3: combined into that one, into one uh, that, that's that's vastly more efficient dramatically and, and in a sense there what what you're describing is where the older daughter then was was just a doppelganger of delia so you don't need that. Right. Um, and uh, so it it makes sense there in terms of uh, later drafts. The other co-writer uh, on it, Larry Wilson, was a big, big name uh, Hollywood screenwriter in those days. Um, he did Beverly Hills Cop, and uh, I have to check whether he's got a Top Gun credit. But that's why he was brought in, I think, to, you know, again, do a little consolidation there and, and kind of just hone dramatic shape within the story, get it to where Tim Burton wanted it to be. So... That was a good change
0: yeah (laughs) i agree and you know they went through quite a few different actresses they winona Ryder was one of the last people that they actually wanted oh interesting um but when she came onto set and did it he was like yep this is her she's gonna be the one they were gonna do juliette lewis Mm -hmm. which what i think would just have been a very different vibe um plus i am in love with winona Ryder. so
4: (laughs) 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 even joyce
0: i love joyce so much from stranger things we kind of talked about what we think is unique, right? I mean, we talked about miniatures. We talked about the, you know, the tactileness. Is there anything else that you want to mention that you thought was really unique?
3: Well, I think talking about the trickster character and what Beetlejuice is in the story. What's interesting? It's one of the relatively um, rare films that is named for a character, but that character is not the protagonist in the story. Right most of the time when you know it's an eponymously named film there so again name of the character that's there Poor it's son. like that's the protagonist right, right there it's in the title extra. yeah so that i mean you know that's that's actually unusual for films the other bit of uniqueness anyway is what michael keaton brought to that role and you know that's one of those breakout roles like this wasn't a breakout role but johnny Depp first uh, you know for the first pirates of the caribbean and jack sparrow first few days of of dailies and the producers are ha- the studio's having a heart attack like what is this <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately the director was smart enough to go this is what we want And uh, going back to to Beetlejuice, I think uh, they had no idea quite what they'd get (laughs) Mm -hmm. with Michael Keaton. And, you know, is there a more memorable Michael Keaton role than Beetlejuice? I don't think there is. Ah, Um, That's a fairly remarkable um, performance that, you know, uh, he and Tim Burton together brought to uh, the story. So couple of unique points
0: so in that case the title beetlejuice really is not about the character but about the world of the character
3: absolutely right yeah yeah Yeah. i think that's that's totally the case Oh,
0: and it's not i didn't feel any way that it was misleading no i didn't feel like it was like i Beetlejuice was in it for like 20 minutes you know? <laughs> yeah. right. no you don't think about that or I didn't think about no, that no
3: you're entering yeah. the world of Beetlejuice right, right? that right. is the Beetlejuice story world completely so it's right. more than just the character in the long run definitely
1: yeah. <laughs> I like the handbook for the recent edition. oh god <laughs> <laughs> so funny
3: <Great>. so funny
2: because <laughs> like a what did he say a stereo <laughs> stereo manual <laughs> 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 just yeah. keep like tossing it around like I don't want to read anymore
3: <laughs> yeah and then yeah. at the
0: end I didn't notice it but you noticed it what's the book at the end that the dad is reading oh. you
3: know, it's now with with the, the handbook of the recently deceased with living with, with the yeah, living right dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's, it's the <laughs> two of Revolution. them together um, I think that's one of the other you, you know unique aspects I mean I just love the depiction of the afterlife completely and bureaucratic nobody had ever given that to you before and uh, right. that, he you takes know, you into a whole new world yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and um, it's part of the Beetlejuice world
0: yeah, I love yeah. all the references, to The football players. I don't know why it gets yeah. me up so much, but it is so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> like,
3: coach. She, <laughs> she had to happen.
0: tell me what that. I mean, I was like,
2: oh, that actually happened. But well, I mean, like that. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that that was. That yeah, was where yeah. yeah. That was that from. And actually, in the original screenplay, there was no afterlife. Beetlejuice was was basically the second act of the of the movie. Um, mm. he's there was no, there was no option other than Beetlejuice. Yeah. Um, to help the dead. So that's, that's why I thought... And there's
1: no caseworkers. There's no caseworkers. <laughs> yeah. like, don't, yeah. don't hire Beetlejuice. You're going to get right. in trouble. Really, yeah. No yeah. Waiting. The
2: scenes were either in the house or in the miniature town. Those mm. those were the only two locations, really, mm. that the dead could go to. Huh. Yeah,
3: so and, and that's part world of... World. And, yeah. yeah, that's... Uh, L.A. County uh, Museum of Art, a few years ago, uh, mounted a retrospective uh, exhibition of Tim Burton's work. Mm-hmm. One of the great things was um, seeing how much um, Tim Burton, number one, writes. He normally is working off somebody else's screenplay, but he writes dozens and dozens of pages for every single one of his projects. He'll do the sketches for various characters that he's thinking about. Mm. So he brought some of that world, and then, of course, the, the creature effects and the and the the shops that were doing that also brought their particular mm-hmm. skills mm-hmm. and I'm sure mm-hmm. imagination, two things, but, uh, that's very much, I think a Tim Burton ad, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's classic Tim Burton is what it is. And just, uh, all these different creatures and, and how crazy they are there. You know, the, the guy who's flat <laughs> <So> <laughs> who's flying yeah. through the afterlife, um, is just, yeah, you know, yeah. the yeah. receptionist. Um, the the reception- yeah, like yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, the the showgirl that uh, sadly has <laughs> had a terrible fate yeah. um, right. in, in life there, and, yeah. and yet you're laughing she did even not about survive. that. Totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. My, my yeah.
2: dad started cracking up. The one time he watched it with me for Juno the Caseworker. Yeah, when so, they yeah. do the, yeah, close up on her face and she's smoking and the smoke. Comes yes, from yes, <laughs> exactly. Just started cracking up. Yeah. That's great. But Definitely. yeah, it feels very temporary. And you actually,
3: I mean, you there you get like a history of film because that's Sylvia Sidney who... Was a terrific leading lady in Hollywood in the 1930s and 1940s, and there she is still working, and it's great. Awesome. Um, oh, and you have Robert Goulet. And Robert uh, Goulet, there he actually did a fair amount of stuff during that time period, yeah, and yeah. brought you know brought in as a character actor. Um, so it, yeah, it's interesting as he's there. It's interesting with Dick Cavett being there. It was, mm-hmm. you know, late night t- TV guy. You know, now maybe almost forgotten, but uh, was, yeah, almost a Johnny Carson in sure. his time. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, I'd have to. I didn't check to see how many other credits he's got. He wasn't doing that. I don't know why he's in the film, honestly. <laughs> but he's perfect. I <laughs> mean, he's great. It? Huh. Yeah, there's interesting. Well, it's nice to see, like,
1: a unusual. People you wouldn't normally see, and just, yeah, Uh, which again just play for a couple days and adds to the fun.
3: Yeah, that's
4: how it should be. Yeah,
3: definitely.
0: So, we talked about what was unique about the film. Is there anything unique you want to talk about with the story?
3: I don't know if unique is the right uh, word for it, but Beetlejuice is just classic Hollywood filmmaking. There's an A line there which is our deceased couple and and they have a very clear goal we we got to get this family out of the house so it's a good solid three-act structure very clear turning points in this story you have a beeline that really is built around Lydia there she actually drives that and of course she's got a very clear goal and actually she wants to stay you know because she, this is great it's it's goth come to life it's the ghost I can see all this it's so cool and there, you know, and, and what's what's terrific is you have the overt goals for um, all these characters and very clearly established, but then you have what their needs are. And that's, you know, it's established literally in scene one of the film that our deceased couple, they, they want a child, they want a yeah. family. And of course, what do they get by the end there? Now they finally have the family right. um, that's in place and I'm the child power. that we're never told why they can't have children, but uh, there's something there, And um, but in the end, they do get a child, right. uh, even in the afterlife. So it, it's just really solidly constructed, and that actually allows, then, I think, for the trickster element with Beetlejuice, which, in a sense, just sort of bounces around within this story <laughs> with, yep. you know, manic energy, and and uh, but the framework of the story is there, and so it, it's okay, and it's fine to, to kind of put that, It's you know, it's this great Extra Christmas, you know, ornament on the Christmas tree, but the Christmas tree is really super solid, and it all works well. And so that it's able to contain, you know, all of Tim Burton's insanity combined with Michael Keaton's insanity Uh, there. And I don't think that would work if if it just was incoherent as a story. But in fact, it's it's really solidly constructed, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm sure that was partly Michael McDowell, you know, even more in terms of the the original draft. But I think also with Larry Wilson coming in you know again he knew how to just kind of classically construct um, something so interesting to see a second time around there and really think about that and how it works.
1: Yeah I mean I think that being said remains interesting because for me at least for me because the visuals and all, I think the characters don't there's not some huge evolution, and this, the character arcs are not the. They're not. No, they're not they're massive. They're it's massive. like I say.
3: It's it's it's, it's. 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 In the end, though, the, I mean, there's a very clear there's goal a with the DC's couple. There, there's a complete resolution. So they've solved the problem in terms right. of this other family moving into yeah. the house number 1 and they got the child that they never had the opportunity to right. have
0: and the child yeah. gets the parents that she always wanted exactly
3: Actually, that's, that's the b, the b line of the story yeah. there again you know that's the thematic line is really you know you you've got to find the people you need and family's important even yeah. if they're yeah. if, exactly yeah. even if they're dead. Yeah. Um, you you accept limitations in terms of you know, your family. Yeah, and they're and always gonna be in the re- house when you re- come home. Realize nobody's perfect. Yeah. It yeah, actually completes nice... the arcs. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't have to have these monumental, Dramatic. you know, arcs every single time. Yeah. Um, right. but the stakes are actually high. The deceased couple just wanting the family out. It's like there actually is a weird ticking clock of 125 years <laughs> and they're kind of worried about yeah. that, you know, so they, it's really, really important for them. And then meanwhile, you've got the, the the other family and, you know, they've got their stakes in terms of we want the, you know, Delia wants the art world to come in, respect her art yeah. there. The husband wants to be able by to, to you know, <laughs> buy the town. Make a mint. All this, the stakes are all there, and and make sense, and mm-hmm. and have you know enough gravitas right. um, to it.
0: And I would say even again, like Lydia, I mean that, that that I think it was the midpoint for her, where she's considering suicide. Yeah,
3: no, the stakes are super high. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and yeah. then at
0: the end, it's nice because you get to see her very well which adjusted, adjust, happily adjusted. adjusted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like she and... still looks like her at yeah. her school, but she's out and she's doing things. She's not just. Yeah. You know. At home
1: yeah. trying to write a letter. Yeah. 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 Like,
3: how am I going to die? With the
0: violin uh,
2: music
1: in the yeah. making. Yeah.
3: Right, <laughs> right, right. It's well done as a story. I mean, honestly, it's. There are probably other Tim Burton films that aren't as well constructed and, and don't give you the payoffs as well as I think Beetlejuice does, which, again, I think is, is one of the reasons I think it's one of his best because, uh, you know, everything's resolved, it holds up and makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's not. Tim Burton's number one thing isn't always story necessarily. This was one that, uh, you know, we don't know the entirety of the process, but all the parts worked together and and came through in terms of the story. Yeah, it's a clean ending. Yeah. It's also actually, the running time is so great because you subtract the credits, it's 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 just a tick under 90 minutes. Um, And it's, again, it's the way there. I mean, this is a personal thing of mine. It's the way film should be. It's yeah. like short, and and horror films, I believe, should be short, mm. and comedy films should be short, <laughs> and um, you know this is great. It's just it's tightly constructed actually, yeah. and and there I say it's tightly constructed, but it's still got enough room and looseness to it, uh, you know, that then you can have Beetlejuice bouncing around all over the place, yeah. and even with that ninety minutes, it includes an epilogue that. Was was constructed, you know, relatively last minute because they they already had put the film together, and done focus test screenings, mm, and okay. it discovered people wanted more Beetlejuice. So we're going to do that last epilogue scene oh, that didn't exist. Yeah. They didn't they did do it afterwards. Like, okay, bring him back. You know, yeah. shoot and if, if you <laughs> can look at it, you, you you realize that, yeah, they didn't actually spend that much money. It was just like, we got the wall, we got the, sofa, gotcha. we got the sofa, we got two other characters, and that's cutting of <laughs> it. Yeah, up. yeah smart.
2: Yeah, because in this version he's likable. The original, they yeah. uh, when they he yeah, basically it's like killed off, burned off, yeah. and oh. you're relieved yes. because he was that evil scary. and sinister versus huh. like quirky and and kind of crazy. So I, I like wow. this version because I, I didn't I felt like I did want to see an epilogue. Yeah, everybody. Me. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> again, again, people
3: couldn't get enough Beetlejuice because yeah. it's it's so funny there yeah. and so outrageous. And when we're first introduced to him, um, <laughs> this is a great thing in terms of the time period he's totally doing a riff um, so in the in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s if you were growing up in Los Angeles and you lived in Los Angeles there were constantly new car sales um, commercials and infomercials and what that's what he's riffing on for the, the when you're you get Beetlejuice introduced to you he's doing a car lot pitch awesome. is what he's doing so and everybody in Los Angeles would at least yeah. would totally get that immediately <laughs> Because there were all these characters in Los Angeles that had had tons of yeah, they would do that. They would they would be cowboys. There was one of them would ride oh on the back of like like. I, like, I swear, rhinoceroses or like all yeah, kinds yeah. of animals they'd be Oh,
4: room. my
3: God. Wow. Dad, that was the crazy, you know, old days of, uh, you know, television back in the 60s and the 70s and local advertising where they would do that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of fun things like that buried in it. What's nice is it still actually holds, you don't have to know any of that history. It still holds up 30 <laughs> years later. Yeah.
0: <laughs> What's your favorite part, scene, moment, character, aspect, beat? Uh, animal, <laughs> vegetable. <laughs> vegetable, mineral.
1: I, I, it's curious about the you know the dog at the beginning and you Uh-oh. know it all hinges on the dog. <laughs> <Get it>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I don't know what that symbolism is, but like, you know, the dog kind of. Puts the
3: whole thing into.
0: He's the first trickster of the film. He's right? the first. Yes. He turns
3: well, so he
1: gets the wheel turning, right?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> I wonder if it's if it it's his...
3: almost a callback to Frankenweenie. So Tim Burton oh. sort of has that in his history in oh, terms really? of, comp- you know, kind of weird dogs. Oh really? <laughs> okay. I don't know if this was a weird dog. <laughs> but like, you're like don't move, don't this, move, don't this, move. This
4: is, I know. Yeah.
3: Then the dog never shows up again. Right. No, he's lost But he's launched the entire. He's launched the entire
1: inciting incident. Yes. It's the a, dog yeah. jumped off right. the plank, yeah. boom, and the world turned. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> so the power of dogs in human life, goes the whole thesis to be written about that. Yeah. I just think that, you know, kind of rehashing of the creativity, like, you know, when they, they're in the afterlife with a caseworker and she says, well, what are you going to do to scare them away? And they each kind of put on a funny, scary yeah. face. <laughs> and then they kind of go back to the world and you know Gina Davis was able to go back to her normal face but he's still figuring out how to <laughs> collapse the large kind of plasticky rubber face he created and so i just think it's constantly coming up with clever entertaining offbeat scenes that keep you guessing keep you laughing and um you know the fact that you know they're trying to scare them away, and now it's a marketing opportunity to bring people from the city. It's like it's everything's backfiring, and, and backfiring in kind of original, authentic ways. Yeah. Not like okay, didn't we see that in another movie, and that right. all these other movies backfired the same way, and here we have this cliche again. So yeah, I appreciate the thought that went into that, I guess, and the thought that went into a lot of scenes, even how they reveal Winona Ryder. She's you know they're carrying in all the furniture, oh, yeah. and she's sitting in this large. Armchair, and she's revealed that way. That's a great way to reveal a character because he's like, here's a normal scene, they're bringing in furniture, and oh, here's a little bit of a twist, and you right. discover a new character. Um, so it's just there's a lot of thought and planning that went into the scenes and the just how they're choreographed, and, and they're I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, and it's not it's like subtle. yeah, but it's there. And, but it's the, yeah. yeah,
0: like uh, the scene with um with Alec Baldwin when he's wearing that like. Death mask looking face, and he's got his eyes on his fingers, and he's trying to read something, and so he's using his fingers to read it. But, like, it's so quick that you don't mm -hmm. even. I'm just like. Details. (laughs) Details. It's yeah. <laughs> an amazing detail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it'd just be blank. You know, like yeah. There'd be nothing there. Yeah, yeah. Use so it. So yeah. So small
3: <laughs> no, that's a. It, it's the details in Tim Burton's world. I think always that that's so great. I just you know I love the afterlife and all the depiction <laughs> of the afterlife, and you know I could spend forever in that world. It's very and, uh,
0: good place. Have you seen the good? Place? Yes, indeed. It yes. Has that
1: sort of... the Ted Danson show. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It has that sort of vibe of this is an office and we all have to work here until we die but yeah. we're dead so yeah. it's gonna be
1: forever it's gonna be forever <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna work with each other. <laughs> and it's interesting even that you know when they're in the afterlife they have the same issues they had in in real life you know they're still looking to be happy they're still looking for peace of mind you know they're still trying to resolve destined. conflicts mm-hmm. and it's not like you cross over and you're freed from all of that it's like you're You're still addressing similar issues that the, at least in his, in this film's version of The Afterlife. Yeah. It's kind of a continuation with a little bit of twists and flair and Tim Burton style.
0: You still got to uh, wait around in a waiting room. He's like, you know,
1: his, the guy next to him is number four, and he's number nine million. <laughs> like, hey, can we do a little switcher here? And, uh, yeah. you know, it's an interesting way to represent the, the afterlife. Totally. Yeah.
0: I
2: liked what they were doing with the interior and the exterior of the house. Mm. Um, this very old-timey Connecticut, both Barbara and Adam wanted to keep that, you know, ugly wallpaper and that (laughs) old-timey furniture that was who they were and they were content to have a vacation in that house because that's what they wanted they wanted to finish it and make it their own so this this conflict of very modern people coming from manhattan and just tearing it apart i mean i think i think what they decided to do in their design was such a contrast and it felt very tim burtony once once the contemporary part was set up Uh um so I like visually the whole time that's what I was thinking about, hmm. um, and then at the end I didn't notice this until this last screening, but the wallpaper behind Lydia is half the modern black weird mm-hmm. mm-hmm. texture and half the yep. awesome. the wall flower oh, we okay. wallpaper, yeah. and she's just dancing awesome.
0: between the yeah. wallpaper. Yeah, yeah. That's so mm-hmm. cool. So I was like, oh my gosh, even that's symbolic. Like mm-hmm. yeah, I Burton, mm-hmm. like notice those things. Um, and we talked about it a little bit. I, I mean, I felt like there were a lot of different callbacks to other sort of horror films, and the outside of the house definitely felt like uh, the Amityville, Amityville horror, horror mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm glad that you guys agreed. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no absolutely. I I just, it just hit me now as oh, you said okay. that. And I'm like,
1: okay, hey, which one would be, like, okay, probably Amityville. I don't watch that many horror films, uh, yeah, yeah. Amityville horror, you yeah, know, that's one of the ones I... Cool. back in the day. Nice. Yeah. You have to show me
0: pictures. <laughs> 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 not a whore. That's okay. Sorry. You don't need to be a horror <laughs> person.
3: But I think I, I, then the interesting thing also is thinking about the, the influence this had. I mean, you know, Men in Black, was this influenced by Beetlejuice? I think yeah, absolutely. And, mm-hmm. you know, Tim Burton's world, I think, I think there was uh, so much influence mm-hmm. that, you know, um, rippled out from this. I don't know if the, those ripple effects continue there, but, uh, the, you know, Think absolutely there were the number of films in the 90s um you could see influences of of um, beetlejuice and and you know just tim burton in general mm-hmm. uh and he was cool. such a major filmmaker in the in the 90s not that he's you know he's there i mean it's amazing because he platformed from beetlejuice to batman and like batman you're already at the top you know mm-hmm. you're a list and now he's just stayed a list for you know more than 25 years and wow. and. You know, just did Dumbo, so he's still doing, you know, A-list, you know, Disney um, films. He hasn't, he hasn't had, he can't go any further. Like once you do Batman, (laughs) like you've already hit (laughs) the top. (laughs) There isn't anything such, you know, you can't go beyond the A-list. So you're just kind of there, and he's just been there forever.
0: He's Um, actually one of the people that I read um, is very interested in directing a Tales from the Crypt. Yeah is one of the people that's like i want to do that i'm like oh, that sounds so right, so good
1: yeah
3: that it as doesn't a surprise feature
1: me feature or as a tv series
0: or... uh well the article was talking about a tv series because okay. i guess there's a new idea about calling it the crypt i think and he was mentioned in there he's somebody that really wants to do it my favorite thing uh was the relationship between lydia and delia And Lydia and Barbara. Ah. The mother figures. Basically. That one scene I just that you pointed out, I just love that scene where Winona Ryder kind of finally meets them when they're under the sheets and she's like, you know, and she's talking about how she's like obviously weird and Gina Davis is just like, You look perfectly normal to me. And I I love that part because I feel (laughs) like her mother, her stepmother, which is a whole other issue um, (laughs) it's just as unique and sort of ridiculous in some ways as Lydia, but that Gina Davis's character is the one who's like a farm woman, you know, like yeah, living in Connecticut. Her, you look normal to you me. You look normal, yeah. yeah. And I, I like to I like to see how that those two relationships like changed uh, because you do we do finally see Delia, yeah. um, we do see her like holding Lydia.
3: At the when, end, like the end scene. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
0: that's the first time that we see affection from her parents to her. Um, and it has to be when her, like, life is at stake. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe we should, like. Him. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like they obviously are sort of taking a back seat to parenting to some degree at the end mm-hmm. because they're tutoring her in mm-hmm. math and they're mm-hmm. studying with her. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. I just, I really liked that. It was, I didn't expect it, especially for a film that's a, called Beetlejuice and is about a crazy guy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I just didn't expect it. Yeah, now we have the big question. You ready?
1: <laughs> is it a secret question? <laughs> <laughs> no, <we're happy>. no. <laughs> no, we now. not. This is the game
0: we play all the time. So, if they did a remake or a reboot or whatever, like a completely new version, who would you cast as Beetlejuice?
3: That's tough because uh, that's a hard act to follow with Michael Keaton. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, that the manicness and energy of, of that. And it was the same time period as, as Jim Carrey kind of starting up his career. And there was a generation of comics that you know, kind Robin of hit Williams that. Or yeah, or... exactly. Um, and I don't know if we've got that the uh, there. So I don't have a, a name, but I would... You know, if again to reboot it, it's what I would want to look at, and and even thinking about where comedy's gone. And I mean, that you know, Michael Keaton came out of stand up comedy, I mean, that's yeah. why he can do what he's doing uh, in Beetlejuice. Hmm. Um, where a lot of the energy in comedy has, has come from in the last several years has been much more with female comedians, trans comedians, and so I would say don't cast a male comedian no. I'd go I'd go trads I'd go female I would go with somebody who's transgressive which really Michael Keaton was in those early mm-hmm. days um, and the, you know it, again Jim Carrey Robin Williams etc mm-hmm. um, and I think that's kind of the energy you don't want to try to find so then an interesting story is if, if it's this unbridled female id how does that impact know, the story I <laughs> um, you know that uh, I, I mean I, I then i think you've got to rethink the story in a way because it's an entirely different kind of form that of energy but that to me would be vastly more interesting than somebody trying to top sure. michael keaton because exactly. i don't know that you can you top that you know that that male lid that's just like exploded yeah. and gone You know, uh, off completely, that's a tough act to follow.
0: I think that's exactly how we would want reboots as reimaginations of it. Um, You know, what kind of different kind of person can you get into this role? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any that you?
1: I'm terrible when it comes to actors, I mean, even on 2A, you know, like, Terry's like, you know, knows everybody. You know? <laughs> i like, I don't know. You well, know. you can't compare it's, yourself to Terry, he knows Sammy <laughs> Davis Jr. still around? <laughs> but I agree with, with Terry's comment that that would be a more interesting. You know, you could pick it up in the waiting room, where it's like, he finally, you know, like, it's like, mm. he's, he's no longer number 9 million, and... He, he dies and he reincarnates <laughs> as a trans or a woman or
4: yeah. you
1: know and, and and off we go and we've got our carryover and nice. um, so I think that's a more interesting and it gives also you know whoever the actor actor actress would be um, an opportunity to own it and, and and create their own version as opposed to I'm now in the footsteps of and I'm having to create something, but there's always going to be this shadow. Like, you mm. remove that, and you give them the freedom to articulate that character in a way that makes sense to them and for the film and for the director. So I think I, I, would, I would support that direction. Yeah. I think that's what makes it yeah. worth redoing. Yeah. Otherwise, like, you know, where are you going to go with the story? I mean, there's, there aren't really... It's not like he left an opening at the end where it's like, okay, we know there's going to be a sequel here. <laughs> it you know, like. <laughs> felt so, very wrapped up. Yeah, so, I mean...
3: I think it's an interesting question uh, again whether audiences though would would tolerate you know even a shift in gender for example. So if you think about the female reboot of Ghostbusters a few years ago, and 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 audiences had trouble with that. would interestingly enough, um, uh, in, in a way, it's it's actually frequently audiences that don't want to oceans, allow as much flexibility. The yeah, the, no, the, you're the, right with you the, the, with the Oceans 11 uh, all female reboot that right. you know didn't do quite perform quite as well commercially again and it's a question of whether audiences are quite as ready to go there in terms of of but you know Did, that, did you yeah. see
1: the 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 female ghostbusters? Was it Was it just love kind love of like it. the oh, same yeah, but with women or No. Or I would was say it,
2: no. Yeah, I feel like I wouldn't like it if that's what it was. Yeah. Okay, um, I so, don't they, so they so they
0: reboots when they don't add right, anything to it. Sorry, right. But, it's yeah. a different perspective. hmm It's really unique. They they call back to the original, of mm-hmm. course, the Gordon Weavers in it, um, Bill okay. Bill Murray, uh what's his name? Um Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's it in in as well.
1: There. Okay, okay.
3: Right.
0: Um the female secretary. Mm-hmm. I can't remember her name. I really liked it. Okay, great. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah, oh, a, um, yeah. But that's it. Um yeah, it's 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 hard oftentimes to pull audiences along there and and you know how flexible are they within these re- reboots now they, you know that's so far that seems to be um, the evidence
0: when they made the film before anybody saw anything people started sending really horrible message. Totally. Messages about women and yeah. about women being ghost hookbusters, which is stupid. Um, <laughs>
3: yeah, right. But, like, yeah. <laughs> like because that's been such a predominantly male profession for oh, yeah, hundreds of years. Because it's like yeah, but exactly. It,
0: what they did was they integrated that into the film. So there's actually a little scene sure where they're Mm -hmm. reading comments about the video of the ghost that they found and put on YouTube Mm -hmm. and it's like horrible stuff that they're saying. And she's like, Don't ever read the comments. Yeah. And I was like, Thank you. Because like, (laughs) what? Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Well, what but, you know, know,
3: maybe that's even changed in the, in the span of two to three years here. Time will tell. Who knows if, uh, in terms of Beetlejuice, will they do a reboot sooner or later? Probably. Somebody's going to make some money somewhere. Yeah. Well, yeah, th- I mean, that's a larger issue in terms of why sequels and reboots, yeah. uh, et cetera. So that, that's an entirely different podcast yeah, say, um, to discuss that.
4: Might, yeah.
3: um, but probably it'll happen. Or this Beetlejuice 2, which supposedly the, somebody is working on a script for it, and that one yeah. there is intended to be a sequel. Right. And would they gather up the original cast, at least partially? You know, can you do a Beetlejuice two without Michael Keaton? But I don't know. Would you know? I have no idea. Would he? If, would, he would he do it? Is yeah, an interesting he I mean, question. Yeah, it's, He's uh, still
0: pretty crazy, I'm sure he would. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, if the role's right, I think yeah. it's. A, a, You know, I think he hopefully is in a luxury enough position that he can decide. Is 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 there. A value add here right. Right. on the other hand uh, depending on how much money you're offered it's uh, yeah. you know hard to you know <laughs> you, you know have, what that's like right yeah. you have to, yes <laughs> I don't know. so who would
0: who would you cast Terry took my answer
2: oh
3: man you, you really should have gone first
2: no, i feel <laughs> bad but that's what i was thinking i didn't have a specific
3: Margaret I don't Cho know actors
2: either. Or... Yeah. No, but it's
3: got to be younger. That's the thing. But, that's, and
2: yeah, a yeah. Lydia Shadow. That's what I was thinking. Like mm-hmm. this another teenage girl who might tempt Barbara and Adam and kind of blind them because if that's what they're wanting is this child that they never got. And if she can still be a trickster and and deceive them in that way, hmm. then that's it's it's kind of, you know, genuine a genuine um, yeah. Lydia character versus this really sinister Trickster Lydia. It's um,
0: very interesting. Who
2: I mean, you know, meaning she would she would look like Lydia's opposite,
0: like very right. put together, and like, oh, I can help you. Like I know exactly what to do. And that's its own trope in horror: is young people who are terrifying. Right. <laughs> right. I, so I wouldn't basically... want her to be
2: too young that she look like you know Children of the Corn, but um... no, but that's, yeah. <laughs> but but that's what it would play
0: on. Yeah, I mean, it could play on something like that.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: But so yeah, I was
2: thinking definitely female, younger, cool.
0: Um, and then you can play with the id.
2: And, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think
3: a, a question there to ask then, um, you know, it, it's born out of the 1980s. So this thing about Manhattanite, um, trendy, arty people moving in the country was definitely a thing in the 80s. So yeah, you could redo that. I mean, it's not that that's vanished, but is there a further update? Yes. Does this take place outside of Silicon Valley, for yeah. example?
4: Um, yeah. uh,
3: do, or maybe outside of, of Los form. Angeles? <laughs> Possibly. A,
1: on the um, border with Mexico, and you get some oh Mexican there you go. Day of the Dead stuff, wow. and you ah, kind of get nice. a bicultural element.
3: It's yeah. cocoa meets oh, yeah. Beetlejuice. Oh, <laughs> <Love> <laughs> you heard it here first on Bite the yeah, We
1: that. <laughs> but that might be an interesting... Because then you God. actually bring in a variant, you know, culturally, you know, it becomes multicultural, it's, you know, potentially more dynamic, and and you have the unknown of the other culture and some of its traditions, which could be... Scary, you know, or just um, you know you know, one needs to be reassured, you're not sure what you're getting. Yeah. That could be an interesting
2: cool. I always love a back Backdrop of cultures. That's what, and I'm glad you brought up that Manhattan because the original screenplay had that a whole lot more. Where yeah. Manhattan was just infiltrating Connecticut, that yeah. small town. Yeah,
3: which was a very '80s thing. Mm-hmm. So oh. yeah,
2: so that's what they feared. So that makes yeah. sense that the, yeah. the film would reflect your society. Yeah. so that's what they yeah. feared the most. Yeah. that's interesting. That if we did a reboot, yeah, you know, something that we, we put need it on about. the
1: border in El Paso. Oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> Gosh,
2: that's fascinating. Yeah, that's totally our idea. Nobody can take it. Oh my our God. Idea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I went a little bit of a different direction. I mean, pretty much the same, but I was trying to think of an actor who I felt like could have the range to do something like that. Um, maybe not the same energy, but the range. And maybe tweaking it a little bit towards like a s- social stuff. Social stuff. Yeah, social stuff. Um, so I picked Kate McKinnon.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah interesting. Mm-hmm. I feel
0: like she could totally do that. Oh, my mm-hmm. God, she mm-hmm. yeah, she
1: like, could. Mm-hmm. Terry's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, he doesn't doesn't
3: stay up that late (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) but i mean i feel like she's one of those people now like on snl she's one Mm -hmm. of the few people that's actually brought like lesbian content Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. onto saturday night live Others have tried in the past, but it's usually been like poking fun, Right. whereas she just is like, yeah, this is who I am, so it's going to be a part of what I do. And I, I would like to see her as sort of playing a mischievous, trickstery kind of character. I totally see that.
2: Yeah, because she has, I mean, her range is much mm-hmm. like um mm-hmm. too,
4: hmm.
2: so I,
0: I can t- totally picture mm-hmm. that. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. a good one. I don't know why I didn't think about her. I just <laughs> want her to be in everything, I think. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> Master and commander. Kate McKinney. <laughs> <laughs> That's just challenge ball. That, that was Russell Crowe, right? Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> <laughs> we will not get in trouble for that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else we want to talk about with Beetlejuice? Anything?
3: I'm good. Yeah. I'm good.
0: Cool. Yeah. Good choice, guys. Good choice. <laughs> yeah. Very good. So I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank oh, you're
3: Our pleasure. Yeah.
0: You can definitely learn more about Two Way the film, see updates and sign up for their newsletter at twowaythemovie.com with the digit 2. Please support them on Indiegogo, please. That would be very generous of you. We would be awesome you. and we will love you. Did you guys want to say anything more
3: before we we have to get like we we want to uh, have everybody give great reviews to uh, bite the pen. Oh, and, there you go. And go subscribe five star uh, to the podcast. Top, top five podcast. star. Try to do a six star. See if that works. Uh, so yeah. uh, thank you so much Tim for Burns having listening us. To this. Yeah. <laughs> You email it to Tim Burton like, Yeah. You know. There you Terry,
1: go. You can do that, right? Yeah. You uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Tim and I are like this. We are so tight. <laughs> Tim, listen to you know the, between one hour and thirty-five minutes and one hour and forty minutes, where we talk about the news. We'll send the clip. We'll send a clip. We'll go juice. from there. I like that.
3: But uh, there, we, we are uh, honored to be uh, your yeah. first yeah. guest. Thank you for inviting <laughs> us. Thank you so much. So much. Yay. And as always, Charlotte and I
0: always appreciate everyone's. Comments and listenings, listenings, listenings. We appreciate the listenings <laughs> you, going on. <laughs> uh, we're excited about our next episode, which is no. Well,
1: what is your next episode? Well, I'm the
0: last sure. we talked about was you need to create a cliffhanger having...
1: here. So they come in right... <laughs> on, to writers said... here, come on, got to build a cliffhanger.
0: We discussed talking about a film that comes from Australia. Oh, it has a lot of um, indigenous people not only in it but directing it and writing it and working it based on a book and it involves a girl and a large aquatic mammal. <gasps> what can it be? I don't know. Technically yeah. independent too. That's... Do I get to see what it is? Oh no. That's a teaser. Oh, this is okay. Yeah, okay. What if we decide not, not to Godzilla. do that? <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, I mean, I guess if you want to, go ahead. Uh, that's it's okay. No, we can no, it guess. out later. No, it's okay. That's oh okay. my
1: god. You have to, somebody wins a prize if they guess and that's contact true. you. All there, right. you go. there you go. Done. All right. there you cool.
2: Go. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> six foot, seven foot, eight foot punch!